Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Uh, the Bible story we read today is very unique in the, in the scriptures. It is the only story told in all four Gospels. Now, when I was a young man learning to preach, they said, tell them, tell them again, tell them what you told them, and then remind them what you told them. Four times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all thought this was event was important enough to put into the Gospels. Now, I have to tell you that I like getting older. In fact, I was watching a documentary last night on Monty Python, and John Cleese said he likes getting older. It makes him more patient and wiser. I have to tell you, the first probably 20 times I preached on this sermon, I preached about hunger. And how we need to come to church, we need to come to Bible study, we need to come to the scriptures, we need to come to life hungry. Because no matter how good the meal is, if you're not hungry, it's not going to do its job. When I was applying for positions at colleges as a professor, they often ask you, what is your philosophy of education? And I would always say the same thing. My job is to cook a meal, the most delicious, most enticing meal I can. That could be in my music classes. It's got to be interesting, enticing. It could be in my college classes of psychology, or it could be for a sermon. It's my job to cook a delicious meal. It's the student's job to come hungry. Because no matter how good a cook I am, if you already stopped and got two cheeseburgers and some fries on the way, you're not going to be hungry for what it is I have. Now, do we know that the people in this story were hungry? I got to say, yes, yes, yes. Why? You may remember a couple Sundays ago, we talked about the fact that in Jesus' time, the teacher sat and the students stood. Not only did they stand, but they had to walk. They didn't have cars or mopeds or little Vespas or bicycles or oh, what are those things that kids balance on, the hoverboards? All they had were their dogs, and they had to walk their dogs all the way out to Bethsaida. Then somebody says, Pastor, where is Bethsaida? Well, I know the answer to that. We're back to our imaginary map of Israel. I'm drawing this for the people who are listening online. At the top, you have the Sea of Galilee, runs into the Jordan River, and then the Dead Sea is down here. Jerusalem is here, Bethlehem is here, Nazareth is here, Sychar is here, Sychar, that's where he met the woman at the well, is here. At the very top of the Sea of Galilee is Capernaum, get it, Capernaum, that's where Peter lived. You can still see they're ex excavating Peter's house if you go to Capernaum. The synagogue where Jesus taught, the foundation is still there, and you could touch the step where Jesus put his foot, pretty cool stuff. And if you go a little bit north, farther away from Jerusalem, you've got Bethsaida. Now, that means the majority of people had to go out of their way to go to the very north of Israel to hear what Jesus had to say. I don't know about you, but if your significant other makes you walk for, through the Biltmore Hotel, and at the end of the day, you look it up and you walk five and a half miles through gardens and up and down stairs. Are you going to be hungry? 
And all the congregation nodded their head and said, yes, pastor, we would be hungry. And if the next day you walk four and a half miles through Dollywood, great music, would you be hungry? Yes. And if on the third day, perhaps, your significant other made you do a tour of waterfalls in North Carolina and you walked three and a half miles. So that's how we know that my Achilles is pretty much back to normal. We walked 13 miles in three days. Would you be hungry? Now that you've walked out to hear Jesus speak on the open field, you have to stand while he teaches. And he didn't teach for 17 to 22 minutes like your pastor. He taught all day. And it's not a small crowd. We're told it's 5,000 men. And most theologians will tell you that all the men brought their families. So you have a man, a wife, perhaps two kids, that the crowd was 15 to 20,000 people who walked several miles out to an open place to hear Jesus teach. And they stood while he taught for several hours, perhaps. These people are hot, they're tired, and they're hungry. But I want you to think about this. They're not just hungry for food. They're hungry for spiritual food. Were you listening to the beginning of the story? It said when the disciples returned, they reported to Jesus what had happened. I don't know about you, but I want to know from where did they return, yes? Because I can't go on their Facebook page and see what they posted. Did they see waterfalls? Did they see the Biltmore? It was the first time Jesus had sent them out on a missionary journey. He had divided them by twos, and he had said, don't take your coat, don't take your cane, don't take any money. Go out and tell the people the good news. And if they welcome you, Stay and preach, and if they don't welcome you, shake the dust off your shoes and go to another town. And they came back and they said, Luke tells us, that they had, they had cast out demons and they had healed the sick and they preached the good news and they were well received. They had just spent time feeding people spiritually. I think that's significant because when they said, Jesus, these people are hungry, what did he say? You give them something to eat and I think it was one of these, whoosh, right over the top of their head. They completely missed it. Jesus was giving those 12 men the opportunity to minister to the crowd. Philip, the practical one, says, well, if we bought them all a Happy Meal or a Biggie Meal at Wendy's for $5, there's 20,000 people. Jesus, where are we going to get $100,000 to give Wendy's to all these folks? Now, I don't know if Judas was vocal here. Judas doesn't want Wendy's. Judas liked the finer things in life, we're told. He liked to dip into the coffer sometime for himself. He says, well, if we're going to do it, let's do it right. Let's have a catered meal. We'll get tables and chairs and some linens, and we'll, we'll do all the courses necessary. I looked that up. If you're planning a wedding, they tell you to plan for between $100 and $200 for each plate. That would be what? Half a million dollars. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And all the disciples emptied their pot. Like Jesus, there's not enough money for that. There's not enough food for that. There's, there's no row of fast food restaurants nearby. 
What are we going to do? Now, when I was a younger man, I thought that at this moment, Jesus sighed. And it was one of those teacher sighs when the students don't really get it yet. Like, <sighs> I, in my old age, and I'm only 62, but I'm beginning to think that he didn't sigh. He said, okay, I love them. We'll teach them one more time. And then Andrew shows up with the little boy. The little boy has his lunch bag, his picnic basket. Maybe it's a Captain American lunchbox. That's what I would have mine in. And he's got five loaves and two fishes. And we all heard the miracle that Jesus broke the bread and, and divided it into the people. But, you know, some scholars point out that in John's recording of this story, the people were on their way to Passover. Passover was in Jerusalem. And you may remember when Jesus was 13, they went with a group of people to Jerusalem. And it was a big, happy camping trip. It's uh, 88 miles from Bethsaida to Jerusalem. It was going to take several days, because they're still walking, to walk and camp and cook. And some of the scholars think all these people had food with them. Because you don't go on a camping trip for five or six days without bringing some Fig Newtons. I don't know why, but that's the first thing Vicky wants on a camping trip. We never have them in our house. We never have them anywhere else, but we're going on a camping trip. She gets two things. Tootsie Pops, that's like a family tradition, and Fig Newtons. Some people think that Jesus used a little boy, and I don't want to use the word embarrassing, let's say to encourage, to propel the people to open up what they had and share in their groups of 50s. Think of it as perhaps one of the world's biggest potlucks. So we've really got four things happening here, and I want you to think about these. The first one that happens is Jesus is calling us to community. Well, how do I know that? Because he said we're going to sit in groups of 50. Nobody took their meal and went and sat by themselves. The first thing Jesus is teaching us here is community. They sat in groups of 50, and they didn't come in groups of 50, so what did they have to do? They had to get to know the other people in their group of 50. It was a call to ministry. What is ministry but sharing the good news? And he was encouraging the disciples to share the good news. You give them something to eat. And I don't know about you, but when I sit down to eat with somebody, stories are told. There's laughter. There's memory shared. Uh, there's opinion shared. I don't know about you, but sometimes Vicky will say, what do you think? And I say, well, do you want the Doc Madison opinion or do you want the chopped judge opinion? Right? Well, I think they cooked it too long or it's not got enough salt. They shared their opinions. It was not only a call to ministry, but a template for ministry. Sometimes the church forgets that people need things other than the gospel. There are churches that have clothing ministries and food ministries. There's one church I know, they had a honeydew ministry. Now, I don't know about you, but every now and then I get a honeydew list. Honeydew this, honeydew that. Mine usually has to do with running errands because we know I'm not good with power tools and fixing things. Uh, but 
this church actually had a group of retired men who on Tuesday mornings came to the church and the, the older women in the church would submit. I have this window that went open. I have this door that won't close. I have the lawn needs to be cut or the weeds. Need, and these retired men would go out and do what they called the honeydew ministry. They filled in the gaps. And sometimes while you're filling in the gaps, somebody says to you, well, why are you doing this? And you get the opportunity to share with them that Jesus gave everything for you. And now you're giving everything for Jesus. And of course, it's called, it's a call to missions, outreach. How do I know that? There were 12 baskets of leftovers at the end. And they didn't have refrigerators and they didn't have seal meal bags or Ziploc or Tupperware or Rubbermaid. If they didn't do something with those 12 baskets of leftovers two days from now, they would have worms and stinky stuff, especially since it was fish. Community, ministry, missions, outreach. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the term of Venn diagram, V-E-N-N. John Venn in 1880 was a mathematician and a philosopher. English guy said, we can draw a diagram that shows what everything or two things or three things might have in common. So in your mind, or if you're taking notes, I want you to draw a circle and I want you to write ministry in that circle. Across in that circle, I want you to write, draw a circle that overlaps and I want you to write missions. So we got ministry and missions. Down at the bottom, I want you to draw a circle underneath the first that overlaps a little bit. And I want you to write the word community. And on the other corner, there's a missing spot. You draw a circle that intersects in the middle. What's missing? Something's missing. We'll call it outreach. Now, they're very different circles. But what goes in the middle? What's the one thing that every one of those circles has in common? Jesus. If we're not doing ministry or missions or outreach or community for Jesus, then it's not going to grow. It's not going to work. At the center of the Venn diagram, the answer that is common to all four is Jesus. Got a little ahead of myself. The last thing I want you to think about is this. Many people come to church and they're only half hungry. Have you ever had this discussion? Are you hungry? Not really. I could eat. I could eat. Vicki and I have that conversation way too much. And since she works nights, we often eat at different times and then trying to find that time to get to dinner when we're both hungry doesn't always happen. There's a good chance it'll happen it will, the miscommunication, the misalignment of hunger will happen tonight because she worked last night. And then you get picky. So I want you to imagine we've got 100 or more groups of 50s and the disciples are delivering the food. So think of this as a banquet and the disciples are the uh, waiters at the banquet. And they deliver, and when I talk to teenagers about this, I call it tuna fish sandwiches. Because everybody knows what a tuna fish sandwich looks like. And they say, here are your 50 tuna fish sandwiches. Somebody looks at it and they go, 
this tuna fish is too wet. It's too much mayonnaise. Somebody says, my tuna fish is too dry. I like more mayonnaise. One person says there's too much salt. One person says there's not enough salt. One person says it needs more pepper. Another says it doesn't need any pepper. Somebody says, well, my mom always puts celery and onions in it. There's no celery and onions in this. <sighs> People come to church sometimes, not only not hungry, but looking for a reason not to eat. I want you to hear that. They come looking for a reason not to eat. And the poor disciples, each one of them is a charge of 10 or more groups of 50, right? And imagine that. They're delivering the sandwiches, and the other group that belongs to a different disciple says, excuse me, excuse me, and they had to say, I'm sorry, you're not my group of 50. People are going to say, and it happens at church, well, I went to that church, and people weren't friendly to me, or people didn't talk to me, or they, they, they acted like I wasn't there. They had to minister to all the groups of 50. So now, rather than seeing this story as just a story of hunger, I see this story as, as four different things, actually by character. Andrew saw a problem and sought out an answer. The boy saw the problem and gave sacrificially. The people knew that they had a need and they came hungry for spiritual food. There was no sign at the feeding of the 5,000 that said, Barbecue afterwards. They only came to be fed spiritually. The disciples were called to serve, teach, and believe it or not, serve sandwiches and share the leftovers. Do you know who your chef is? The president of our advisory board. The man who is officially in charge of the entire ministry of this church is going to cook hamburgers and hot dogs today. That's the kind of ministry we're looking for. And once again, I want you to remember that Jesus made this all happen. He's at the center of that Venn diagram. Well, where does this leave us? Where does this leave you? Did you come hungry today? Do you come hungry to the scripture? Do you come hungry to Bible study? If you're hungry, come here and we will do our best to feed you. Do you look for opportunities to serve? My friend Dave Coriel, the head of uh, World Christian Endeavor, says there are two kinds of people in the church. You've heard this before. Honeybees and hippos. One is a consumer and one is a builder. If you just come to be entertained and you're not giving and you're not serving and you're not looking for opportunities to share the unique gifts God gave you, then my friends, you are a hippo and not a honeybee. Do you look for ways to build and create community? Uh, I really don't know the answer to this because sometimes I run out the door to go to the Phillies game with Vicky or, or sing at the opera. But how many of you get together and go out for lunch after church? I gotta tell you that one of my joys as a pastor was when somebody says, pastor, let's go out to lunch after church. I know that uh, one of Glenny's favorite places is Cracker Barrel. And I didn't know how close the Cracker Barrel was. I know that um, Kim and uh, Rob like Ponzio's. I didn't know how good a hamburger Ponzio's makes. Do you know 
your fellow congregants well enough to know where they want to go for lunch? And can you make the time to go with them and build community? Do you have a heart to share your excess, like the little boy? Do you ever stop and say, thank you, Lord, for all that you've given me. What can I share with the community of faith? The last question is probably the hardest, but the most important. If you were to draw a Venn diagram of your life, your work and your home and your friends and your hobbies, what would be at the middle? Because if there's one thing we could take home from this story, it's that Jesus needs to be the center of everything. If you need to counsel, pray, or speak about spiritual matters, please seek out one of our pastors, that would be Pastor Wiki or myself, or one of our deacons, that would be uh, Danny, Glennie, or, or Helen, and we would love the opportunity to pray with you. Amen.